Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In the show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. In 2008, the nominees for Best Picture were The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Frost Nixon, The Reader, Milk, and the year's big winner, Slumdog Millionaire. But today, a movie that's arguably better than all of those. The film, The Wrestler. The director, Darren Aronofsky. Here's the trailer. Some more work. All I got is weekends. Isn't that when you sit on other dudes' faces? Have you ever seen a one-legged dog? Have a beer with me? <laughs> one beer. You have a daughter? Oh, my daughter. She don't like me very much. You should call her. And you seen me? What do you want from me? I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat, and I deserve to be all alone. I just don't want you to hate me. Two words, three, match. Bring it. You know, with a little luck, this could be my ticket back on top. Eighties man, best ever. Guns and Roses. Crew. Yeah, then that Cobain had to come around and ruin it all. <laughs> Ninety sucks. Ninety sucks. These things that have comforted me, I drive away. My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display. You know, the only place I get hurt is out there. I'm really here. This life, you can lose everything you love, everything that loves you. A lot of people told me that I'd never wrestle again. The only one who's going to tell me when I'm through doing my thing is you people here. That'll work. Come here. <laughs> Mickey Rourke nominated for Best Actor. Marissa Tomei nominated for Best Supporting Actress. That's usually a good combination in my book. Oh, yeah. Um, he won Best Actor in a Drama at Golden Globes. Bruce Springsteen won Golden Globe for Best Original Song. And he also was nominated for a Grammy for that song. Um, and Marissa Tomei also was nominated for a Golden Globe. So Mickey Rourke was friends with Bruce Springsteen, asked him to write a song for the movie, sent Springsteen a long letter and a copy of the script, tried to convince him. And then a month later, he, Mickey Rourke and Darinovsky, Darren Aronofsky attended a Springsteen concert at Giant Stadium where he played the song for them backstage and then he just let them use the song for free. <laughs> That's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, 98%. Roger Ebert. Okay, this probably could be my only question for you. Okay. But um, he said, I cared as deeply about Randy the Ram 
as any movie character I've seen this year. I think that is a, that's the end of that quote for now, but I think that that is one of my new litmus tests for movies. Yeah, I could see that. What character did I care about the most that year? I think that's a great, uh, a great line from the great Roger Ebert. I cared about Mickey Rourke too. The way this role and this film unfold, that almost amounts to the same thing, which again, mm-hmm. I think is very astute. Rourke may not win the the Oscar for best actor, but it would really make me feel good to see him up there. It really would. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> here's what I want to say. Although The Wrestler was not in his best films list, and he put 20, by the way, he wow. basically said, I'm tired of these lists. I'm just going to put 20 in alphabetical order and they're all tied for first, <laughs> which is again where I found the band's visit, which was really great. Um, he included this note at the bottom of his review. The Wrestler is one of the year's best films. It wasn't on my best films list for complicated and boring reasons. Unquote. <laughs> I love it. I mean, this whole film criticism thing means nothing. He's None of like, it means anything. He's like, how in the 2008, you know, review of uh, the year, he's like, how dumb is it to try to say that, you know, this movie is slightly better than that movie. Yeah, so yeah. it's number six over number seven. I mean, I love doing that. So it's kind of fun to me, but what complicated and boring reasons i went and actually looked at the review of the wrestler to see what else he said about that Mm because surely he explained himself but he didn't what complicated and boring reasons would possibly make you say that the wrestler is one of the year's best films no doubt in fact as of today it is sitting at number one on my list Mm -hmm. there's still a bunch more that i'm looking forward to seeing but how could it be one of the best but what complicated and boring reasons could you imagine? I mean, you're you're an experienced film critic. You've been writing Letterboxd for I think was it sixteen years? <laughs> sixteen years. Of sixteen golden years takes. of golden takes on yep. Letterboxd.com. Yeah. <laughs> what complicated bo- and boring reasons could you imagine? I think that we have touched on this before, and I'm thinking about 2007 comparing something like Atonement, which is glossy and clearly has a lot of technical prowess behind it Mm -hmm. it's very showy it's very impressive to look at the sound editing it all works together like a highly emotional brilliant acting brilliant writing brilliant directing okay keep going the emotional though (laughs) i don't think it's there totally works and i can compare a movie like that to a movie like once that was made for a fraction literally a fraction of what atonement Mm -hmm. was so it doesn't have any of that gloss or any of that sort of um expert level craft but i feel it more and so it matters. It's more valuable to me than atonement is. And I think maybe with this, we're looking at a similar thing where it's just the, f- the filmmaking is so stripped down, especially in comparison to Requiem for a Dream and the Fountain, which came before it for Aronofsky. So, so you think that it might be the technical or the boring and complicated reasons might be that Ebert saw that it was technically flawed, even though it was emotionally impactful. Because I don't think... And that's pretty boring. When you know... (laughs) (laughs) You can't deny that. That is real boring. But when you you think of Aronofsky, I mean, when you do Requiem for a Dream, you know that you've got the technical chops. Oh, yeah. You've got the daring, the visual, the the vision. So this is a choice. This is clearly a choice. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, for me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give David Fincher a little bit more benefit of the doubt because he's David Fincher with Benjamin Button. 
to me, going into this, one of the reasons that I was excited to watch this is because it was directed by Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. Um, and I think that there are showy moments here, but they're just quieter and they're more restrained. I think about yeah. when he's walking from the back of the grocery Into store the meat to the meat counter and it mirrors him going in backstage at the arena and to the, into the show. And That's then that mirrors brilliant. Marissa Tomei walking out yep. to the stage at the strip club. Brilliant. Those kind of moments still have an expert level of they craft behind absolutely. them. Even though they're not yelling in your face like Requiem for a Dream is. And remember, I love Requiem for a Dream. That's not a slight. Yeah. But it's just, it's it's a very, very different approach, which I remember loving at the time and respecting that it's just, it, it, it's almost like an experiment. It reminded me that that third person camera where you're, you're just following him around a lot of the movie. It reminded yeah. me of the, of Gus Van Sant elephant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, quite that's, a that's bit. That's a really good comp. Um, so anyway, I don't, I can't imagine what the complicated and boring reasons are. I just think I, that it's because Ebert is one to thumb him, thumb his nose at the Oscars in, as an institution. Yeah. He's not, he's not beyond doing that. So it's not like he's doing it for some kind of political reasons. No, I just think that all of these rankings are so subjective that in his head, it, it makes sense why this would be under, you know, whatever that he band included movie. Frost Nixon. In his 20. I don't know what it is, but maybe he's just making the point that I could explain to you why this is lower on my list, but who cares? I'm telling you that it's yeah. a great movie from the year. It's not, it, it's gonna, it's my 21. He should have made a 21 20. list then. Yeah. At some point, you still have to decide that you're leaving a movie yes. off because that is inferior to this one. But so he leaves it off and then he mentions it. He's having his cake and eating it too. Not only that, but in, this is a, this is a Harold Bloom, um, you know, critic uh litmus test there are more books than you can possibly read in the world mm -hmm. you have to choose which ones you're going to read and the imp the implication is that you believe there one has more value than this other whole bookshelf of them same thing with movies like if i'm going to rewatch a movie from 08 this is going to be one of my t prime contenders of to to, to rewatch it <clears throat> it there's there's just more to it it's more valuable of an art form yeah so I reject Roger Ebert's rejection of lists. They yeah. have to be done. I mean, In, I don't re reject his rejection of ordered <laughs> lists. I, I am reject all for, your unrejection. No. <laughs> I'm all for him saying, here's a cluster of movies from the year that I think are yeah. important. Check them out. Um, because I do think that the ranking, you know, this is slightly better than that for whatever arbitrary reason. <laughs> It's a little bit of nonsense. It's not arbitrary. One more uh, showy moment yeah. that's not showy in this that I love um, is the sequence that sort of intermingles the uh, bursts of action from the extreme match that the Ram fights with the staple gun yeah. and, and the trash cans and then him healing afterwards and being treated by a doctor and yeah. being bandaged and all that stuff because we see kind of the so good we see the hype for it build <laughs> before the match and we hear what weapons are going to be used and so it sounds and like they're cool extreme. with it and then when it starts we jump right to the end of it so then you think oh he's not going to show us the match that's a that's a certain kind of restraint but instead he does show us the match but he shows it through the lens of the sacrifice and the and the punishment that Randy goes through for the fans, for himself, you know, to to kind of be part of the scene. So it recontextualizes the whole thing where we're, it's not so much a show and a spectacle. It's like, it's a sacrifice. 
one of my favorite moments is one of the least showy technically. And that is right after the, the credit, the opening credits. And then it's a black screen and it says 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just this Mickey Rourke still looking like a wrestler, but older. And he's just sitting alone in the locker room or something like a locker room. And it's 20 years later. And then I was like, okay, I'm in. And when he walks out to the stage, you see it's in a very small, like maybe hotel conference room or something like that. It's like a rec center. Yeah. 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 The juxtaposition there. The wrestler was made for 6 million and the box office was 44.7. So it was about $300 million worse of a movie than Benjamin Button. (laughs) Um, So this is going to be a shortish episode, but we'll do questions, trivia, keep it or kick it. Um, I will ask my, my one question is going to be this. Darren Aronofsky said that Mickey Rourke was his first cho- first choice. The studio wanted, who would you imagine would be another great choice for this? You know, <laughs> uh, let's say Clooney gets jacked. Let's get him in there. <laughs> No, it'd have to be somebody on a comeback. Nicholas Cage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm all for that. You're joking, right? No, no, no. I think that the studio must have also been joking and that Darren Aronofsky was totally correct in laughing them off <laughs> the stage. Nicholas Cage? Are you kidding me? In 2009, he said that he was not dropped from the movie. He resigned from it because... Quote, I didn't think I had enough time to achieve the look of the wrestler who was on steroids, which I would never do. He's like the opposite (laughs) of Mickey Rourke. How could he possibly be the wrestler? It's like, it makes no sense. I think Nick Cage has a a wider spectrum than you're giving him credit for. Sylvester Stallone could have done it. Mm -hmm. But he apparently had just, he he just made Rocky Balboa in 06. So they didn't want to like yeah. double it up, but it's already sort of a comeback yeah. old fighter story. Exactly. So anyway, I will answer the question for you. Was it a good choice to go Mickey or Mickey Rourke as opposed to Nicolas Cage? The answer is yes. Do okay. You have a question so, for me. Yeah. I was talking about the, the scene with the extreme match and how it, it's kind of recontextualized to be about sacrifice and, and punishment. Um, and Marissa Tomei at one point early on in, in this movie brings up the passion of the Christ and they kind of share a moment where they're like, yeah, he just gets beaten up for two and a half hours and he just takes it. And there's like a, there's like respect there mm-hmm. for, you know, the plight of Jesus. <laughs> um, so is that what this movie's about? Self-imposed, is it about penance? Is it about self-destruction? What do you think? I think it's about those 20 years that you never mm-hmm. know. You, you, everything... The, the fact that Mickey Rourke's daughter is just so mad at him and so hateful, it's probably because, I mean, he, he says he deserves it. Yeah. But we love Mickey Rourke. This character, like, it's like Roger Ebert said, I cared about him as much or more than any other character the whole year. That's how I felt. Um, and it's like, it's, a, it's, it's, I think it's a lot about forgiveness and atonement. Um, he doesn't, we're willing to forgive him for those 20 years cause we weren't there. All we see now is the guy who is humble and he seems like a genuinely good guy. He's like, he doesn't know 
he doesn't know how to make his daughter happy. He's going to buy this like horrible looking (laughs) greens shirt that's shiny and just is like so ugly. But he bought both of them because he just wanted to get it right so bad. Like he, he, he's such a good, good, you know, good person. He's trying to, you know, help the kids. But then he had a date with her and then he, instead he like he snorted Coke or yeah. something and misses it. Some of that was cut out of my version, you know, my, my clear <laughs> play version. Kind of an important thing to, <laughs> to stay in there. Um, Not all of it was, but I, yes, he's flawed. He's weak. Yes. Um, and and he was never there for the first 20 yes. years of her life. And, and how can you, how can you excuse that? You can't. All you can say is look at the guy now who is, He's he's weeping because he doesn't want to be hated by his daughter. Like that's has a great moment. Um, so I think it's about you know someone. Can we as the audience forgive him? Do we want other people to forgive him? Um, do we want people to forgive us? I think so it's, those Christ themes are certainly there. It's not it's not a stretch to say that it's kind of about about a lot of that stuff, but it's not, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. I don't think, even though it is overtly stated in some, in some ways. Yeah. And I think identity is a big one. And just like Requiem and, and, uh, the fountain and pie before that, uh, obsession and addiction, this mm-hmm. is a different form of addiction. And so I guess in that way, we need to talk about the ending because yeah. the yeah. ending kind of, he goes out in this tragic glory in this blaze of tragic glory, pretty much. So tell me your, was this the first time you've seen this movie? First time I saw it. Okay. So I always wrote it off because like, do I want to watch a sports biopic? Oh, come on. Nah, I don't really want to. <laughs> I pulled the Mike Cavalieri and I didn't sports even want to see it. Biopic. Um, the ending I thought was stupendous. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So much so that I'm furious that Daniel Aronofsky in an interview later was asked, Darren? does he, did, what did I say? Yeah, I, said I said Daniel. Daniel. I thought Darren. you were talking about like his dad came no, no. and did an interview yeah, Darren, about talking about his movie. Aronofsky <laughs> apparently in an interview said, yeah, he does die afterward. No, 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 no. You decided to make the bold, incredibly great decision to black out as he's flying off the, the ropes. You don't get to decide if he dies. So did you see hope there? You thought that, that, I, he, that I, he survived this? I think that it doesn't show it for a reason. Mm. It doesn't show his funeral in the rain and black sun, <laughs> black umbrellas or something. Because this movie's good. <laughs> yes. He dives off there and disappears. And yes, you know that he is willing to, to die because his family is the crowd. You know, he's willing to do it. Um, but it's supposed to, it's supposed to hang with, sit there for you you're not supposed to decide. It doesn't ever happen. See, I think it's pretty clear that he definitely is dying, but I think that the that the so beauty he has that, another heart attack and he survives. I think that Big the deal. beauty in it is that it's played like a victory. So yeah. it's just crammed full of this irony, and it's almost like if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my terms. But it's 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 an easy out. It's the it, it's the fantastical happy ending. It's the you know it's 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 Iwo Jima. And then you flash back after the everybody dies and you flash back to the happy moment. It's Lincoln. He dies and you flash back to one of his great scenes. In this, I, th- I, th- I see a similar kind of I don't uh, know. I don't there. know. I, I think you've got a more optimistic, which <laughs> big surprise. This is a recurring theme. You've got a more optimistic take on this than I do. I think it's more that he had a chance to live when Marissa Tomei came yeah. and said, 
don't go out there and fight. You're not physically fit to do this. And he completely had the chance, yeah. but instead he lies to himself and says, no one cares about me out there. And she yeah. says, I'm here. You know, what are you talking about? There is somebody. And uh, he chooses to go out there instead I'm because sorry, he doesn't know how to be a person. And he does not get to make that choice for me, <laughs> the viewer. The art is separate from the artist. I think one more thing I have to mention, and then I'll let this go, is the identity, the, the main conflict here with identity is um, kind of illustrated through the names of these characters. You have Marissa Tomei, whose name in the strip Cassandra, club is Cassidy, Cassidy yeah. but yeah. her actual name is Pam. And at one point she even says, you think I'm this stripper, but I'm not, but she's a stripper. It's like this yeah. cognitive dissonance. She's trying to separate because she's like, the the world of the strip club and the real world can't mix. And then you have Randy the Ram, who actually goes by his stage name, the Ram, most of the movie. And we find out later his name's actually Robin, which yeah. he hates. <laughs> he scoffs at that name. So it's just like another way to 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 kind of show that the person who's able to separate themselves from from their work, from their addiction in a way, is the one that survives. And the one that isn't is is gonna self-destruct. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, the parallels as they become more and more clear, almost to the breaking point, mm -hmm. that's one of the slight flaws I would say is that it feels a little bit too on the nose with, you know, we're going to compare these two professions. I think it stays safely on the line, but it started to get closer there. Like it's almost like a little preachy. I think it gets a little condescending. It crosses yes, over into condescending bit. a bit. Yeah. I think it stayed an inch on, on this side of it. Fair enough. I'll give you that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the writer is Robert Siegel. He's the former editor-in-chief of The Onion. Interesting. Wrote this screenplay. That's amazing. He I also wrote it. The Founder in 2016. And it's a good he wrote, one, too. And he wrote Pam and Tommy. I have not, I have not seen, seen Pam that, and Tommy But it makes yet, me want to see it. But I am it. a fan of The Founder. Now it makes me want to see it more. Um, Axl Rose, just like Bruce Springsteen donated the song, Axl Rose donated the use of Sweet Child of Mine for this movie. Mm. That's awesome. Mickey, Was it Sweet Child of Mine or Welcome to the Jungle? I think there might have been both, but Sweet Child okay. of Mine certainly is in there. Um, Mickey Rourke actually does cut his forehead with a razor so that he gets the, you know, the bleeding. I was wondering if you would ever be willing to do something like that for this show. I mean, if it were a video. If we were on video, yes, for sure. Okay, that's... I mean, you got to give the fans... I guess that... Right? <laughs> um, Darren Aronofsky and Marissa Tomei attended the same high school. Interesting. Throwback to our Good Night and Good Luck episode, Edward R. Murrow High School. Mm. I mean, th there, there's some karma there. So here's the best part, and this is my last, my last comment for the show. So when Randy the Ram gives his speech at the end, which is purposely kind of a little sappy and, you know, preachy, um, it's actually in a, a live audience that was there with real, you know, amateur type wrestlers. And they booed at this monologue because it was too, it was so cheesy. Yeah, it is full of cliches. It is. Yeah. But what is he going to say besides that? That's true to character. So I was I was good with it. But then Darren Aronofsky comes out and is like, "Hold on, guys, it's all part of the movie. It's okay." And so then all the audience gets back on board, and then they redo it, and then they all cheer for him. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. So keep it or kick it. 
Easy kick for me. I mean, I'm sorry. Easy, oh, easy keep. Keep for that me. boot down. Easy keep for me. This is a contender down for there. my number one. I haven't watched a lot of movies yet for 08, but it's a contender for my number one so far. It is also so far sitting at the top spot, but it very well could be booted down. But I'm pretty positive it's going to be in the top five. Nice. It's a great character. And uh, in the next episode, we talk about Frost Nixon the Best Picture nominee, Ron Howard's masterpiece of two people who are preparing to talk to each other. I like it. Until <laughs> then, find us on Spotify and social media. And for 16 years of Golden Takes, head over to Letterboxd slash Mike Cavalieri. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash bestpicturethis. Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. Also, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to Best Picture This, a podcast where clearly no one is using steroids. <laughs>